Friends, it is good to be with you. Even if with is me recording this sermon on this Friday morning, on the eve of the 100th straight day of Black Lives Matter protests here in our city, not knowing what may have changed by the time you see this on Sunday morning. But wherever you are right now, in your living room, outside, on your phone, it is good to know we are together, bound by spirit and pixels and the bonds of community. For I'm reminded more than ever in these times that we need each other. For these times are hard. This pandemic that has taken more than 187,000 lives in this country and more than 867,000 across the world, hundreds of thousands of lives. A growing death toll I'm reminded of daily, working as a chaplain in healthcare, accompanying the dying and their loved ones. Hurricanes and fires that remind us of how our planet is suffering. The lead up to an election where voter suppression and threats to democracy and the strategies of fascism hang over us. And of course, this time, with a movement for Black Lives, these latest 100 days and nights of protest has been met with state violence, with tear gas, with munitions, where some of you faithful beloveds have been out there shot at and gassed, where even as cries of Black Lives Matter echo in the streets, more Black Lives have been stolen, where we have seen police act as judge, jury, and executioner in one fell swoop again and again, where the horrors of white supremacy and white nationalism present in this country and in this state since their foundings move ever into the public eye. Yeah, these times are hard. There is grief. There is fear, there is exhaustion, and all those feelings are so, so real and painful and scary and understandable. And especially in these recent weeks with the recent shootings and deaths that we have seen, perhaps you too feel like things are getting even worse, like the violence and destruction are increasing. I've felt it sometimes. I've certainly heard it from those I work with, from my own family members and loved ones. Like 2020 is leading up to some kind of breaking point. It took a piece written by Adrian Marie Brown, a social justice facilitator, writer, and healer deeply rooted in black liberation work to reorient my perspective to remind me that this violence, these systems of oppression, the racism, the death, the feeling that everything is crumbling is not new. She writes, things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. Things are not getting worse. 
they are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. Mm. But that veil, that covering, it's some strong stuff. It's embedded deep in the construction of this country, especially for those of us who are white. Unitarian Universalist theologian, Reverend Rebecca Parker talks about this. In the book, Soul Work, Anti-Racist Theologies and Dialogue, she explains how white Christian theologies brought across the ocean by long ago white Christians from Europe were core to the settler colonialist project of the United States. How they continue to shape our society today, whether we identify as Christian or not, whether we are white or not, Particularly, Parker points to that foundational narrative of the Garden of Eden. You know the contours of the story. Adam and Eve in the lush and pristine garden where they are beloved of God, obedient, holy, without sin, at least until they eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Once the fruit is eaten and the knowledge gained, they are cursed by God and cast out of the garden. No more paradise where all is provided for them, but out into the world beyond the garden wall where they must work the ground to eat. How this story from this ancient text is interpreted has real implications. As Parker explains, Western Christianity chose to romanticize the perfection of the garden, to desire the state of innocence and ignorance before the fruit of knowledge, and to see shame in being forced out into the world beyond. She says, such a theology teaches those who have absorbed its message that goodness is aligned with innocence and ignorance. It teaches that a social structure in which one is abundantly provided for is not to be questioned. One is to accept privilege and never ask at what cost the Walden Garden is maintained. In other words, one is to love the wall, the cover, the veil, keeping us from the reality of the rest of the world and to fear knowledge itself to feel shame and guilt for knowing rather than remaining pure. This theology weaves through our own society in insidious ways. Parker herself grew up as a white woman here in the Pacific Northwest. And she reflects, I inhabited a white enclave that did not know and did not want to know the complex multicultural history of the land in which I lived. The whitewashed world ignored the violence and exploitation in my country's history, as well as the resistance, creativity, and multi-form beauty of my country's people. I was cut off from the reality of where I lived, whom I lived with, and what our history entailed of violence and of beauty. Parker wrote those words almost 20 years ago, and now here we are in 2020, perhaps still coming to understand how some of us have lived 
in that whitewashed world are living there still. As First Unitarian's own Reverend Bill Sinkford said just this past Thursday on a Portland faith leader panel, I know some of you were also watching, we are still attached to the desire to see ourselves as somehow innocent and pure. And it's that desire for innocence that causes such resistance. Resistance to knowing, acknowledging, pulling back that veil. Because it's ongoing, especially for those of us who are white. Even when we think we know about the systemic oppression, the cruelty, the genocides and massacres and lynchings, the pain. Even when it feels like the last shred of illusion has been ripped away, when we've read the books and taken the workshops and yes, been out there on the streets, that it feels like something else happens, which reminds us in our horror, in our disbelief that no, some of that whitewashed wall is still standing, separating. Some part of us is still back in that garden. The uncovering continues. And then there's this reality, that some were exiled from the garden long ago, cast out by racism, patriarchy, transphobia, that some of us perhaps were never allowed in to start with never included in a white settler colonialist image of paradise. So what does that mean? You could focus on the exile, the loss of Eden, or you could understand that there, outside those whitewashed garden walls, is a whole community of our kin who have been on the journey of doing the work, of tilling the ground, of making the world together, of uncovering, of unveiling. Whole generations who have known that full history, as Parker says, of violence and beauty. Ancestors, elders, holders of wisdom and knowledge waiting. That's the thing about focusing on innocence, on blissful ignorance you miss out on the wisdom. Parker names this loss, explaining that we in the US are a society who loves to idealize the purity and innocence of youth while treating our elders as disposable. I've certainly seen that in my work with elders, especially during this pandemic, their lives willingly sacrificed on the altar of capitalism and reopening. There are other cultures which value elders. Indeed, if you come from black or indigenous communities or from other communities of color or other places in this world, you may already have a strong tradition of honoring elders, of remembering ancestors who came before. It's a value that is radically different from dominant US American culture, white American culture, which so often fails to value elders and ancestral wisdom in the obsession with innocence. To be sure, there is nothing wrong with seeing children as precious and valuable. But as progressive Christian theologian Rita Nakashima Brock reflects about her Asian American community, she says that the innocence of children is respected 
but not admired, not aspired to. That the child's beginning place in the world is respected, but it doesn't become an image that adults aspire to. What adults aspire to is wisdom, which is an ability to be aware of the world. That's the shift that we are called to make in the service of collective liberation, to get free of the garden walls, to make a home in the world together, to begin, as Parker puts it, with the sanctification of knowledge and wisdom rather than the blessing of innocence and ignorance to center the wisdom of voices pushed to the margins, to, in the words of Adrienne Marie Brown, hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil, to aspire to being wise rather than pure. And the good news, y'all, we don't have to do it alone. If we can make that shift, eat that fruit of knowledge, pull back that veil, there is so much wisdom waiting for us. So many elders and ancestors who've been on this journey and have so much to teach us. Those who have embodied the pacienza y fe, the patience and faith of that song. Those who have known grief, loss, pandemics, state violence, death those who have dreamed and fallen in love and raised babies and protested in the streets and created the deep bonds of chosen family, those who have preached and prayed and agitated, those who have comforted and healed, those who are still with us among the living and those who have died yet, as the hymn we sang today reminds us, have never, never left. Indeed, some of you here listening to this sermon right now are the elders of this community with wisdom for us. I'm reminded of that wisdom every day in my work with elders as a palliative care chaplain, where I'm immensely privileged to hear, to hold, to learn from my patient's stories of resilience, of survival in the face of trauma, abuse, violence, racism, homophobia, oppression, to learn of their ancestors, of the long chain of connection. I often think about the fact that if I added up all the cumulative years of life experience for my patients, it would span centuries. Some of them are already over a hundred years old. And think, if we added up all the years of life shared in this congregation, can you even imagine what a gift it is, a blessing to know we are not alone in this work of pulling back the veil, of leaving the garden, of collective liberation, that others have gone before us and have formed a path that they can assure us that things are not getting worse, but that we are uncovering the realities they have long known, the wisdom they have gained. Do you hear their call? The one we sang earlier? Don't you forget about me as you walk on by. Will you call my name? Will you? 
Whose names do you call? Who are the elders, the ancestors who are there for you, for us? Whose wisdom do you carry if you look for it? For me, I first think of my family, my grandparents, all of whom I am grateful are still living. My Nana, who always says in her deep Southern accent, remember who you are. My aunt, now deceased, who taught me to find edible plants in the forest and make nettle tea. My Appalachian ancestors with their hymn sings and revivals and deep faith that got them through cabin raisings and coal mining. That old time religion, like we sang about at the beginning of this service. I think of my Irish ancestors fleeing famine and oppressive English rule. I think of so many who, like Justin Scott Campbell said in our responsive reading, have stories I don't even know, just that they're there, part of the countless generations I carry in my DNA. And beyond the biological, there are so many elders that I chaplain, the elders in this congregation and in this world, all of those who never got the chance to become elders, who became ancestors too soon, lives lost to racism, poverty, pandemics, those whose wisdom we could so use right now. I think of our Unitarian Universalist ancestors, from abolitionists and underground railroad conductors, to the Unitarians who helped thousands of Jews escape the Third Reich during World War II, to the secretary of the UU Church in Birmingham, Alabama, during the Civil Rights Movement, who got used to answering the phone to countless bomb threats because of the racial justice work the church was doing. I think of so many Black Unitarians and Universalists, so many UUs of color who have fought so hard for this faith, who are still fighting even when it hasn't always returned love back. I think about how one of my beloved UU elders and mentors Reverend Kim Crawford Harvey was minister at the UU congregation of Provincetown in the years of the AIDS crisis. How she tells the story of her congregant, Paul Richards, effervescent, young, gay, dying, saying to her, listen, in all this madness, even if it kills every single one of us and there's no one left to tell the stories, it matters that we love each other well. I think about all the times our ancestors have taught us what it means to love each other well, even in the face of death and destruction. And yes, I think about the ancestors in my family, in our faith, who have not loved well. The racism and homophobia in my own family tree, the Unitarians who supported eugenics and slavery, the UUs who refused to call trans ministers to their pulpits. I think of these ancestors because we can learn even from their flaws and their mistakes. And because perhaps, depending on your metaphysics of the afterlife, they too may have had a, been offered a posthumous chance to learn and change, to understand their harm and call us on, in turn, to do better, 
as their descendants. Our universalist ancestors, after all, certainly thought and hoped this is how the afterlife would work. And you, who do you think of? Who are your elders, your ancestors? Who are the holders of wisdom, of experience in your life? Who has taught you about resilience in hard times? I wanna invite you to try something with me. Invite you to place both hands on your heart, if that works for you. Maybe even close your eyes and breathe. Now, I'm gonna ask you to call up before you, in your mind's eye, the elders in your life, the mentors, the ones who have taught you, the ones who may still be teaching you. Call up their faces, their names, their presence. And now, drawing the circle wider, I invite you to call up your ancestors, that long line of human family, those countless generations, beautiful and imperfect and intertwined, who all led to you. Let that lineage surround you. And now, widening that circle even more, I invite you to call up those ancestors of the spirit, of the heart, of chosen family, of your communities, of this church, of this faith. Can you imagine them all? surrounding you in a great cloud, supporting you with a gentle hand in the middle of your back, as Justin Scott Campbell said in that reading. Imagine them speaking to you right now. We know it's scary, they say. We know it's hard, this unveiling, this leaving the garden, this facing the truth, this work of making a world a home for all. Those tears we've had too, that tiredness we felt too. And we've got you, beloved, all of us. We're so glad you're ours that you're a part of this story, we're also a part of, that it's all connected. We've got you. Don't you forget 
beloved, don't you forget. Mm. And friends, may we not forget. May we know even when it feels like hope is lost and we are overwhelmed with grief and fear, when the forces of state violence and racism and white supremacy and cruelty feel all too much, that we are not alone on this journey. We have those who have gone on before, we have our elders, we have each other. Together we are leaving the garden. We are pulling back that veil of innocence and ignorance. We are uncovering the wisdom that surrounds us, that has always been here for us, waiting for us to listen and to learn. Adrian Marie Brown says, the veil never hid us from others. It only ever hid us from ourselves. Now that more of us can see who we truly are, we must begin Continue to move towards who we truly want and need to be. So, are you in for this ongoing journey of uncovering, unveiling, of calling on ancestors, of becoming good ancestors ourselves? of confessing that the comfort we've had, the innocence we've clung to, the peace and purity we've craved relied on staying within those whitewashed walls, of opening up to the wisdom of those who know the journey, who tell us that we might have to get messy in the soil outside to till the ground, to grow a world where black life is held sacred. Are you in? for this movement towards collective liberation, toward getting home, not to a garden barred from wisdom, not to a place at all, but to a way of being. Beloved community, a circle we keep growing larger, a generations long process of song and dance and resistance and deep love, stretching backward and forward in time, dissolving and becoming where we don't forget, not about any of us. Will you join me in the spirit of prayer? Spirit of life and love, that which knits us all together stretching through the past and present and future, help us remember our connection to each other and to our ancestors. Help us find through them, through you, paciencia y fe, patience and faith, courage to leave our places of comfort, to take risks, to admit when we don't know, and to learn from those who do. Spirit, call us into becoming good ancestors, sending as much love and support into the future as we sense from those who came before us. Let us, with this precious time in which we are alive together, join in the work for collective liberation, 
the uncovering, the relearning, the getting right with each other, the survival and the joy, the journey home together. May it be so. Amen.